The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Uh, let's go now to God's Word. If you want to open your Bibles or pull up your Bible app, we're looking at Romans 8, verses 16 through 30. I've been preaching this text on this day for many years. Old-timers uh, might be thinking, well, do we have old-timers in an eight-year-old church? I think we do. You're an old-timer if you've been here more than six months. Uh, so anyway, you might remember that we do this. Um, and I love this passage, and I love why we do it, which I think will be clear as we dive into it and begin unpacking it. But let's look at Romans 8. I'll begin reading in verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who were called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Pray with me. Or thus ends the reading. This is the very word of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you. Let's pray. Our great God, we thank you this morning that you give us hope in the midst of our suffering. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are a refuge. You are a strong tower. In you, we can find peace 
Though the storms rage against us, though the hounds of hell come after us and pursue us, though death knocks at our door, though evil seeks to run us over, Lord Jesus, you are sweeter than the bitterness of death. You are more glorious than the darkness of evil. Lord Jesus, your love, your redemption, your calling, your justification, your glorification is a greater hope than anything we can possibly experience in this life. But, oh God, even as I come to this text this morning, I confess to you that I live much of my life as a practical atheist. I live as if there's no hope at times. I live as if the resurrection never occurred. I live as if the new heaven and the new earth is not a real promise and not a real hope. And, Father, I know I'm not alone. And so I pray this morning that you would come by your Spirit, the very Spirit that convinces us we are your children, that intercedes in prayer for us, the very Spirit of Christ, interpreting and praying in ways that we don't even know how to and could never. I pray your spirit would come and you would do mighty work in the hearts of all of us this morning. We need you. And so, Father, we pray that this would be more than a lecture, that this would be more than a theological lesson. But, oh God, I pray that your word would go forth into our hearts and minds with power, that there would be transformation that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, that we would think new thoughts, that we would see new angles of your truth that maybe we've never seen before, that you would illumine your word in such a way that, that we might awaken to the light. Father, convince the unconvinced. Convert the skeptic. Bring the proud down and lift the broken up. Do this for your glory and for our good, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Last Saturday, Dina West's brother Jerome, Paul West, our keyboardist, his um, brother-in-law, was out shopping. Um, He had been suffering from congestive heart failure, but he was living with it. And yet, last Sunday morning, uh, they found him unresponsive. That Saturday night, most of us read about the family in Collierville, the husband and wife and son and the three children of missionaries to India whose their house caught on fire and the mom and the three children uh, whose parents are missionaries in India that were just staying at this house for the holidays were all killed. Suffering. Suffering, pain, and trials. 
It's lurking. It's all around us. It's like a lion in the brush. It is always there, just waiting to pounce, and it hits when we least expect it. I've told you many times, one of the most painful times of my life was the day after Christmas of 2006. It was one of the most happiest mornings. All my family was in town. We had an incredible Christmas. We were living in Fort Collins, Colorado, and, and, and I was in the car waiting for my family. They were in a store, and I received a phone call telling me that my brother had taken his own life. Out of nowhere, I had to ask. My, my stepfather was the one on the phone, and I had to ask, who is this? I was so disoriented. It was so out of nowhere, out of left field that I had no capacity to even process something so dark, something so hurtful, ripping at my soul, tearing at my heart, disorienting my mind, suffering, trials. Dear friends, we were not made for suffering. We were not created for suffering. We were not created for brokenness and sin and the curse. We were not made for the world in its present condition. And yet suffer we will. We can make our promises. We can alter our lifestyle. We might be able to even keep the, the resolutions that we make. But one thing is for sure, and that is that you and I will suffer as God's children this year in 2019. I've never been wrong. I've made the prediction every time I preach, and I've never been wrong. And I can't tell you how many people come up to me Two months, one day, six months, a year. Richard, you were right. The only question, and this is what I love, the only question, and I backed up. If you've, if you've been paying attention to these sermons over the years, you may have noticed that I backed up. And I keep, it just keeps getting bigger and wider and more glorious to me, this text. But I backed up a couple of verses this year to 16 and 17. I didn't start in 18. And I did so because what, what Paul is saying is it, it's no question of whether or not the believer will suffer or not, and the unbeliever. The only question is, will you suffer in Christ and with Christ, or will you suffer outside of Christ? What, what Paul is describing is a way to suffer as a believer that shows and even deepens this experiential reality of father-son, that you are a child and he is your father, even and especially in the face of real suffering and trials. Crazy. Listen to what he says. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided this is a conditional word, provided, if, if, provided we suffer with him, not apart from him, not outside of him, but with him, in order that we also may be glorified with him. Dear friends, this is so hopeful. I want to tell you this morning that your hope as a believer is not that Jesus is going to change your circumstances but that Jesus is going to give you a power to endure your circumstances even with joy. Wow. Did you hear that? 
Our God has not promised to make the road smooth, but he has promised to be our life and joy on the bumpy road. You see, what suffering and trials will try to do this year is it will try to isolate you. That's what, that's what evil does. That's what the curse does. That's what darkness does, is it tries to isolate you in your singleness. God can't love you. I mean, you know, you're all alone. He's forgotten about you. You must not be as pretty as the other girls. You must not, you must not be as successful. You mu that's the kind of stuff darkness does. God took a family member. God, I lost my job. I'm not, I'm miserable in my job. Yeah, God, you know, <laughs> you know, come on. We know. God is not all. The preacher says he is. You see, suffering isolates and makes you think that you're the only one in a world of happiness and joy. And that's the danger of Facebook and Instagram. Everybody looks so happy. We can take a selfie. You've seen it all. You've seen families fighting in a restaurant, you know, and then all of a sudden somebody pulls out the camera and it is like, smiles on, baby. And then back to, you know, it's not real. But we can control it. We can control the image. It's our own marketing scheme. But it's false. The rest of the world is not full of joy and happiness and you just alone in your suffering. Dear friends, we all face trials. And one of my greatest prayers for downtown church is that we would be a community that can stand together and we can declare, we consider that our present sufferings are not worth compared with the glory that will one day be revealed to us. That is my prayer. That we not be this wishy-washy, moody bunch but we can preach the reality that we have a God that has overcome the world in the midst of the suffering of this world. That we can face the darkest times as we faced many of them in this year in 2018, didn't we? We're still here. Every time last couple of years I've been preaching this, I go back and read Joni Erickson Tata's stuff. She has been now confined to a wheelchair for like four decades. She's a believer, a strong believer, and she writes a lot. And, and this is what, this is, this is it. This is what she says. It's not enough to merely cope or adjust to suffering or trials. God wants us to embrace his purpose for the pain as good and acceptable. Did you hear that? It's not enough just to survive it. It's not enough just to put on a... No, he wants us to accept it as good because he is the God reigning over it. Wow. Man, we got to unpack that. We got to unpack that. So let's do it. First of all. God working good does not exclude the reality of bad. Another way to say it, there are a hundred different ways to say it. Bad things happen to God's people. I've told you before about the girl that uh, was in my first youth group. Dana, now her name is Gieselman, her sister Dawn, they were in my first youth group. 
Dana and Frazier, they go to our mother church, Second Pres, and uh, in 2013, their middle daughter, uh, Mila, began having seizures. And uh, she had other symptoms too, and they took her to the doctor, and she went through a round of tests and was diagnosed with Batten's disease. It's a terminal neurological disease that obviously attacks the brain, and, and the symptoms are uncontrollable seizures that eventually leads to blindness, um, loss of control, and, and ultimate, ultimately death. It's terminal. No one has survived it. But it's also hereditary. And so they had their other two girls, they had three daughters, their other two girls tested. The oldest was clear, but the youngest, Elle, who was two at the time, also has Batten's disease. Mila died November of 2016. Elle is still battling the disease. She's six years old now. Two out of three daughters. The most horrific suffering, the most horrific death I mean, I can't even get my head around it. I can't even, there's no way that I can even get in their shoes. I don't even want to. And the inevitable question that, that the believers ask is, why, Lord? And yet what I love about the Bible is it doesn't skirt it. It tells us. Listen to what Paul says, in, in, especially in verse 20 of, of chapter 8. For creation itself was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. This world is fallen and broken, and the Bible tells us that. It says sin is so disorienting, sin is so destructive, sin is so evil that God had to give this world over to death. You eat this of this one, the fruit of this one tree, and you will surely die. And none of us had any, I mean, there's no way to comprehend the, the depth and the magnitude of that death. It is pervasive. It's everything. Everything's broken. Everything. Not as bad as it could be. But nothing is left unscathed. Everything. Think about just yourself mentally, physically, emotionally. Everything is broken. I was with a brother yesterday. Suffered a heart attack. Terrence Young. And we were talking about how depression is just wrapped around him now. He... he why? Because his brain was, was, was literally rewired in the midst of his heart attack. And he's suffering. This, this is the most fit man I've ever known. I mean, this dude is a black belt in karate. And now he walks with a cane at 35 years. Everything's broken. No one's exempt. And it's easy for us. And, and, and our default is this. Our default is to go to kind of a, 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 not kind of, to very much a Hindu or Buddhist view. It's like karma. Well, you get what you deserve. And that's how we feel. Well, so I must deserve it. We all deserve it. Yeah. We deserve everything. We deserve death. We deserve judgment. But what Paul is saying is it, it, when, when bad things happen to us, when death comes, it's not judgment on us specifically. It's judgment on creation generally. This is the judgment. This is the curse on the world. 
And so it's not this, well, I do good. And that's how many of us live our Christian lives. We live the Christian life as a Hindu or a Buddhist approaches his religion. And that is, I do good. Therefore, God, you are obligated. I gave my life for you. Therefore, you're obligated. It's some transaction. I give my life to Jesus. He gives me a better job. And we're all good. No, that's not how it works. And that's what Paul is saying here. The text tells us that it's not judgment specifically, but on creation in general. Here's the solid truth. This world will not bring the kind of fulfillment that you and I were made for. And, and what Paul is saying is, stop trying to get it. This war, what you're trying to do is impossible. Where it is leading you, trying to find purpose, ultimate purpose uh, in your work, in your relationship, in sex, in trying to whatever, get a bigger house, take that vacation. You know, I saw that, uh, you know, you can get airfare. There's like airfare right now for $308 to Italy. Where's my credit card, you know? But what, what's behind that? What beh is behind that is, ah, that is glory. That is heaven. And Paul says, no, Italy's broken. And you're broken. It's not going to fulfill you to the extent that you were made to be fulfilled. Do you hear me? There is fulfillment out there, dear friends. And his name is Jesus. That's the hope of Christianity. And it's a beautiful, beautiful hope. You see, we were made not just for Eden. We were made to walk with God in Eden. Eden can never replace God. Do you see it? And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to get Eden without God. In fact, we're trying to use God to give us Eden, thinking that we can be satisfied. And God is gracious enough to deprive us that we, he might give us himself, which is the one who will truly satisfy us. Do you see what he's after? Don't you understand now? If you look at your life like that, God's not so cruel. I'm just like my five-year-old, you know, grandson or my, when my children were young or when I was young. What does a parent do? Does a, what, does a good parent give his child everything he asked for? No. A bad parent does that. Because a parent understands what his child needs. And that's what he gives. That's what he provides. And she. I mean, this world will not satisfy us. It's broken. It's cursed. And God, the God of, of, of glory, did not promise to make this world in our lives until the new heaven, until glory comes down. He did not promise to make this life smooth. All right? I, I mean, imagine the original audience. We are, there's so much I could say about this. Um, we are so insulated from death. Like... You know, in the last hundred years, we've become so insulated from death. I mean, you can go much of your life without ever really seeing a dead body until maybe they're dressed up with makeup on in a box. But that, no other generation, so many other places in the world, that's, I mean, death is, you know, a hundred years ago, you died, your family had to take you and dig a hole and put you, I mean, you're, you're constantly with it. Today, we're totally isolated from it, which makes us feel insulated from it. And we're not. 
we are most naive about death and more naive about death than really any other generation and culture in the history of the world. And so our views of it and, and our unwillingness to accept it as reality. But, but think about it. If, if the Roman Christians took God works all things for the good of those who love him as God's going to make my life rosy if I come to him. I mean, this, these words were written in like A.D. 58, 57, somewhere in there. Well, in A.D. 64, and I got to go to Rome on my sabbatical, and this is what just really struck me, is uh, walking, you know, around Rome, going to the Colosseum and um, just all over Rome, and seeing how massive, thinking about the Roman Empire in the heyday, right in the first century, and thinking about the power of, of um, the Caesar and the power of the government. Well, in AD 64, there was a massive fire in Rome, and, um, and the Caesar was, um, you know, took it as an opportunity to squelch the, the church and Christians because they were advancing, they were rising up, and it felt like a threat to, uh, to the empire. And so he blamed the Christians for the fire, the great fire of Rome, and persecution broke out. They were literally burning Christians on stakes, using them as light posts in the streets. Well, all things work to good for those that love God. I mean, do you see? I, the way that we in our Western modern mind, it's just foolish. It's ridiculous the way that we interpret it and the conclusions that we come to. If you think about the original context, if you think about the fall at all and reality at all, it's really kind of ridiculous. But what Paul is stating clearly is that, there, that bad things happen to God's people, but there's hope. So how do we move toward hope in the midst of, of suffering that completely disorients us? Number two, bad things happen, number one. Number two, respond to bad by groaning and longing for good before God. Don't walk away from God, move toward God. Verses 23 through 24, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. Two groanings, the groaning of creation and the groaning of God's people. Think about this, the groaning of creation as in the pains of childbirth. And then the groaning of God's children as we eagerly await for our adoption, which is the redemption of our bodies, for it's this hope that we were saved. Think about those two hopes. First, the, 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 the longing or the groaning of childbirth. I've never had a child, obviously. But I've witnessed my wife having three. And I do not want to go through childbirth. And you know the joke. If it depended on men to have babies, we would have been extinct, you know, a long, long time ago. It's painful. And yet you women keep having babies. What is wrong with you? It's insanity. If you think about it rationally, it's insanity. 
Why do you do it? Because you hope for something greater than the pain. And that's what Paul is saying. That's what, it's longing for the, to be able to hold the child and say, yes, it is finished. That's what, it, it is a hopeful longing. That's what childbirth is. It is for future glory that you have children, that we have children. It is because of hope. We are driven by it. Nothing can squelch it. We are longing to hold that child. And therefore we go forth in it. And then the redemption of our bodies, longing to be adopted as children. Dear friends, what Paul is saying is, if you as a Christian understand the Christian hope, the hope of glory, that you will be just like a pregnant mom, waiting, longing. I mean, you have parties. You have a string of parties even before the child is born. You're celebrating with um, baby showers. You're, you know, I mean, my middle daughter Ashley is pregnant and, you know, I joked. She got so many um, 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 Christmas gifts for this baby that hadn't even been born yet. I said, we got to say, this is the child's first Christmas, not next year. <laughs> I mean, it's ridiculous. Kid got more gifts than anybody else. It's not even here. And see, that's how we are to live the Christian life, as if it is here. We are to have the joy of glory before we even get there because our mouth is watering. It's like looking forward to a meal. If you tell me you're taking me to McDonald's, ah, all right, well, all right. Hey, I love you. Let's go to lunch. If you tell me you're taking me to Chez Philippe or, I don't know, Flight or something, oh, yes. And I'm literally getting online looking at the menu. Oh, man, what can I get? I mean, let's, you know, let's, see, let's look at that. Oh, yeah, look at that appetizer. Look at Man, I'm just... I'm eating it before I'm eating it. That's what the hope of glory is. It's to be so excited, so utterly consumed with the meal that you know you're going to have is as certain as if you're sitting at the table with a knife and fork in your hand. That's how we deliver our lives. Yes, bad things are happening. Yes, but I've got the knife and fork in my hand. And even through the tears and even through the grief and even through the pain, there is a hope that one day, someday, God will wipe every tear from my eye. And there will be no more death. There will be no more crying. There will be no more pain. And that is not some mythological made-up thing to kind of, you know, salve our pain. It is reality because Jesus physically was born a babe and Jesus physically died and Jesus physically rose and ascended on high in a resurrection body. That's the hope of Christianity that one day, someday, that is our destiny. Are you at the table with the fork and the knife? Or are you acting like the meal's not really coming? See, this is what Paul is describing. It's, it's diametrically opposed to the secularism of this world, the way the world works. I mean, the reason that our world is so consumed with pleasure and money and the physical is because the material is all, it's, it, that's all there is to the materialist, to the secularist, to the one who's living as if there is no future glory. 
So if there is no future glory, we were created for glory. We were created for the pleasure and the glory uh, of the new heaven and the new earth. That's what we were made for. And we can't stifle that. It's in our DNA. And so therefore, what do we do? If we deny an afterlife, if we deny future glory, then we're going to get it now. And that's why we live in such a sexualized society. Because you have to have it now. you got to get it now. That's why we live in a in consumed with making money and taking trips and having nice clothes and all that. Why? Because you have to have it now if there is no future glory. Even as a believer, if you are not staking your claim on glory, if that's not what your, your, um, uh, your taste buds are really salivating for, then you're going to be as materialistic and, and as... Um, you know, worldly in that sense as an unbeliever who's not even thinking about or even pretending there's a glory. Do you see it? Do you see how important this is that we build a right theology and faith around future glory? Not so that we can be utterly detached from this world, but so that I can go to flight and if you want to take me, hey, I'm free the next uh, couple weeks. <laughs> Kidding. Um, well, I am free. But... Um, See, we go to flight and we eat and drink and we say, as good, the best meal you can have is just a tiny little <laughs> It's just God saying, drop. Just wait. You just wait. You think that was good? You just wait. I mean, the greatest sex, the biggest home, the greatest vacation, a four-month sabbatical. Nothing. Not that it, nothing, just a drop. You thought that was good? You just wait. And that's the point. Are you waiting? What are you waiting for? That's the hope for us as believers. What Epicurus, an old dead thinker, said this. He said, what people fear most about death is not that maybe death is annihilation. In other words, not that maybe death is the end and there's no afterlife. But what people fear most is that death is not the end. Now, that's brilliant. You got to think about it a little bit. Let me unpack it just a, a tad. What he's saying is this. It's true. Where does all our guilt and shame come from? Even those that run far away from God and all of us have run to some extent. But you run and run and run, and what's still there? Guilt and shame. And the further you go, it's the guilt and the shame and the emptiness. Why? Because you know there's something beyond this world. You know you're running against the truth and away from the truth. You can't get away from it because we instinctively in our DNA know what is true. And that is we were made for God and God alone. And the further we get from him, the more miserable we get. We can have a lot of pleasure, no doubt. I'm not denying that. Lots of pleasure, but peace, lack of worry, no anxiety, no. That's why we're the most anxious culture in the history of the world. Everybody has this sense, and yet the Christian says, my guilt and my shame, it is by grace Richard Reeves has been saved. Through faith, and even this is a gift. It's not, even this was given to him. Isn't that beautiful? It's by grace I've been saved. So I'm received in the midst of all my mess because Jesus took my sin. 
He accomplished my righteousness through his obedience. And this is how we are to act as believers. We are to groan before God, longing for our redeemed bodies, longing for redemption before God. Listen, if you will, to um, Psalm 79. Man, it, just read the Psalms. I could go to so many this morning. But I'll just go to um, Psalm 79. Um, the psalmist asks in, in, in verse 5, he, he describes the suffering. Oh God, the nations have come into your inheritance in verse 1. They've defiled your holy temple. They've laid Jerusalem in ruins. On and on he goes. Basically, the hounds of, of hell have been unleashed on, on Israel. And so the psalmist says in verse 5, How long, O Lord, will you be angry forever? Will your jealousy burn like fire? Pour out your anger on the nations that do not know you and on the kingdoms that do not call upon your name. For they have devoured Jacob and laid waste his habitation. Notice what the psalmist is doing. He is not going away from God in the midst of suffering. He's coming to God and he's saying, where are you? How long? What are you waiting on? Why, why are the nations around me um, prospering more than, than your people? How long, O oh Lord? Not I'm done with you. How long, O oh Lord? He is groaning in the midst, in the presence of God. And that's what God invites us to. And we get down to the latter verses. Let the groans of the prisoners come before you. Same word. The groans of the prisoners come before you. According to your great power, preserve those doomed to die. Return sevenfold into the lap of our neighbors and uh, the taunts with which they have taunted you, O Lord. But we, and listen, but we, your people, the sheep of your pasture, will give thanks to you forever. From generation to generation, we will, will recount your praise. He shakes his fist at God. He's lifting his hands to God. Where are you? We feel abandoned. But we are not going to stop praising you because you are our only hope. Dear friends, that is how we are to um, live in the midst of suffering and pain. In the midst of losing my brother, God, I'm undone. Every time the phone rings now, I literally have a panic attack during that time. PTSD, because I got a phone call telling me my brother, I'm broken, oh God, what are you doing on Christmas? Really? What, what about his, his son and his daughter and his what, what? But oh God, I have to praise your name because I have nowhere else to go. I have no other hope to claim. Do you see it? This is where we are to move because we are his sheep and he is our shepherd. And then thirdly and finally, the good God is working is so personal. The, the purposes of his um, working all things for our good, namely conforming us to the image of Christ, are so personal. Uh, let me read the, a portion of the blog that Dana Gieselman wrote, I think on December 7th or 8th of um, this month. Uh, this is, remember, this is the girl who's lost one daughter and is nursing her youngest daughter toward death and toward glory, she would say. This is what she writes. This season is a tough one for us, as many of you know. We celebrated Mila's birthday November 2nd, it would have been her 8th, and celebrated her meeting Jesus on November 26th. It's been two years. 
I cannot begin to tell you how much I miss her. That loss seems to grow daily, and sometimes that void is so profound that it literally takes my breath away. Suffering. She's, she's suffering. But as you have probably heard said, the pain doesn't ever go away. We just get better at living with the pain. I still have moments when it all just seems like too much. I can't bear to go on. I have no more strength to carry on. But I do. Not because I'm a tower of strength and determination. Not because I can do anything I put my mind to. But it's Jesus. It's because of Jesus. I can't talk enough about him. He sustains me through the darkest times. That's what Paul is saying. He sustains me, not from the dark, in the darkest times. Sorry, I lost my, I should just read it and not pontificate. Uh, <laughs> he sustains me through the darkest times, through my weakness, through my whininess, through my anger, through my pain, through my failures. He is the one holding me up carrying me. I think of how Elle needs us to do everything for her. She can't walk. She cannot stand. She cannot feed herself. She cannot swallow liquids. She cannot speak the words she wants to say. She cannot use the toilet. She can't even hold her head up at times. We hold her and carry her and feed her and listen patiently to her and wipe her bottom and use our hands to hold up her head so she can breathe and see. And then she writes this. This is an amazing front row view that I get to live out. How God loves and cares for me. All praise to him who carries us, but who also came and humiliated himself as a baby who needed to be fed, wiped, and held so that we might have life. Also, how amazing is this? He understands just how El feels. I read that and I thought of Paul in Romans 5, just two, three chapters before. Paul says this, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. There's the Holy Spirit again. Dear friends, God's purpose for our lives, according to these verses, is to conform us unto the image of Jesus. Listen, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who were called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. What does this mean? that he is conforming us unto the image of Christ. Let's just say this. Nobody in this room is satisfied with who they are. I mean, you see it. That's why the gyms are going to be filled up on January 1. That's why Weight Watchers makes the overwhelmingly large amount of their profit in January, February, March, and it starts to taper. And every other diet plan on the planet. 
Because none of us accept who we are. We all want change. We all want to be better. We all, and you know what? God says, yes, I'm with you. But I'm changing you. And this is what I'm using. I'm taking all things, especially the suffering, so as to conform you more and more unto the image of Christ. Look at Christ. Who was Christ? He was the God-man. He was the per- He was what we were created to be. When he was on the cross, take this cup from me, or the night before he was on the cross, take this cup from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And in that is tremendous strength. In that is the way that we are to live life. In that is where we will find the most meaning and the most fulfillment and the most satisfaction. Not saying, God, bless my agenda, but us saying, God, if that's your agenda, I bless it. Do you see it? When that is mature, that is ultimate perfection as a human being. That is being a child. That is being a son. That is being a daughter. That's where we need to go. And that is what God is seeking to accomplish in your life. To let go of the petty goals and dreams of this world. Ultimately, to say, I want to be like Jesus. And dear friends, the only way to be like Jesus is to love Jesus more than you love your goal for money, more than you love your career goals, more than you love sex, more than you love drink, more than you love a dinner at flight, more than you... Do you see it? Because we become like that which we love. And when you love Jesus, you become like Jesus. When you understand what he's done for you, when you understand who he is for you, when you see the deep theology of this text in Romans uh, 7 and 8 and you under, or in 8, and you understand that God is sovereignly and yet personally conforming you and I to the image of Jesus as he gives us a heart for Jesus more and more in the midst of our suffering. You see, Dana Gieselman knows Jesus today and is being conformed more to her than if this horrible disease never struck their home. Is she thankful for the disease? Would she give it all up to have her children? Yes. But it's happened because of a cursed world. And she knows that her God reigns over this. And she knows that God is using it for the good, not the skippy, happy, kind of frivolous good but the eternal weighty kind of good that she might know more and more the Savior who redeemed her and gave his life for her. Second Corinthians 1.5 For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. So here it is, friends. Are you a child of God? Are you redeemed? Are you willing to live life in this direction? No matter what is done, no matter what happens to me, I will yet praise you. No matter, you can take my family, you can take my job, you can take away whatever, but you are my God. I'm your son. I'm your daughter.
I have nowhere else to go but you, and you are the best. Dear friend, if that's your hope, think about what you must repent of. What have you brought closer to the level of Jesus this morning? What are you holding maybe even above him? What is your desire? What is your hope? What is your goal that maybe has risen just a bit above Jesus? Knock it down. Ask him to take it away. If you have yet to hope in Christ, you've got two options. I mean, Paul says, eat and drink for tomorrow you die. Go for it. Or come to Jesus and have eternal rest, eternal peace, eternal, the eternal reality of God's love that you were made for. Dear friend, I would plead with you to come to Jesus. Come to Him. Rest before Him. Ask Him to fill your heart with His love. Ask for His forgiveness and you will get it. Receive His righteousness. He obeyed the law in your place so that you would not. He knew you could not obey the law. He doesn't stand up here and say perform and then maybe I'll work all things for the good. No. He said I've already done it. And therefore I'm working all things for the good. And your life will have the purpose of God transforming you through any and all things. All things. All things. All things. All things. For the very purpose for which you've been made. Would you come to Jesus this morning? May we all sit at his feet. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the substantial, irreplaceable hope. Thank you for the glory set before us. Thank you for the spirit who lives inside of us, giving testimony right now that we are children of God. Oh, Father, I pray that there would be some in this room that would run to you for the first time. I pray there would be some that would run to you for the first time in a long time. Oh, God, I pray there would be many of us that would run to you, though we've tried to do it all week. Oh God, I pray that we would all end at your feet and we would glory in you, our Savior. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you for the hope that you are. Would you bless each of us? Would you bless downtown church? Oh God, we give ourselves to you. And we thank you that we can trust you in 2019 just like we could trust you in 2018. You've never let us down. You've always been there, the light and the darkness, holding our hand, pulling us forward helping us lifting our head when we couldn't see and we couldn't breathe. As I think about um, those who have passed away uh, in our body. I think of Susan Grissom and God, you walked with us. You were there with us. God, I think of so many that have lost babies this year. You were with us. God, I think of those who've lost jobs and uh, you were with us. And God, I know that you'll be with us in 2019. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Make us your family more and more. May we act like your family, the family that we are. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Let's respond to huh, the irreplaceable hope that we have by bringing tithes and offerings to him and rejoicing in his goodness. I'm going to ask that we have some of our elders, our prayer team, community group leaders just stand on the side. 
If you'd like someone to pray with you or if you have questions about your relationship with Jesus, uh, this is really a time if you feel broken. Uh, I know, man, it's hard for me. I had somebody text me the day after Christmas this year and say, Richard, I know it's got to be a hard day. And I just started crying right there uh, because that is unfortunately Christmas for me. Um, and I know it is for so many in here. And so feel free just to offload your burden on a Christian brother or sister. Um, and also, if you want to just come and talk about your relationship with Jesus, uh, feel free to do that at this time.